Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Hey there. Thanks for joining me again here on this Parenting After Trauma podcast. And if you're new here, welcome. I told my husband just yesterday that it might be possible that my people, and that's you, the listener, and probably especially everybody over in the club, are maybe starting to feel like our son and getting real sick of me telling you how amazing you are and how much I just absolutely adore you. I hope you're not getting sick of it because it's going to be really hard for me to stop. I'm so thrilled you're here and joining this movement and changing the world for our kids and ourselves. You are in for such a treat with today's episode with guest Michael Rumley, who I had the greatest pleasure of getting to know over the past year as we prepared for his Rising Tide conference that went off to the best that I could tell without a hitch back in June 2021. Michael threw a fantastic conference, but he's also a trauma-informed equine-assisted mental health therapist who is really leading the way in our field. I'll let Michael introduce himself more fully, but just wait, you're going to love him as much as I do. I'm Robin Goble, the founder and the host of this Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even taught the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention to get you free accessible support as fast as possible. So the podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. It's pretty common to hear a cockadoodle do in the background. If you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and share with your friends and colleagues. After you do that, head over to my website and get the free ebook I wrote all about the brilliance of attachment. Readers of the ebook are saying that not only is the book beautifully laid out and easy to read, but it's offering a perspective on attachment theory that they've never heard before, and it's shifting things for them. You can download that ebook for free at robingobel.com slash ebook. And while you're on my website, you are definitely going to want to check out my calendar of upcoming trainings for both parents and professionals at robingobel.com slash trainings. And just a tiny little teaser, but I'm working on creating something that I think you're going to think is pretty amazing. A big, big, big training that will be available hopefully soon. Today's episode with Michael Rumley is sponsored by The Club, my virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. Right now, The Club is wrapping up what has been a powerful three-month exploration into attachment, and they have truly blown me away. It's just so overwhelming to be a part of this amazing community. I mean, the way they show up bravely for one another and themselves has exceeded what I thought was even possible. If you need to feel seen, to be gotten and understood, we would love to have you. The club opens for new members approximately every three months, and we'll be opening our doors again in the fall, moving us into a new three-month exploration of strengthening the foundation of the brain. So we'll be taking the ideas you've learned in this podcast series and then making them practical and applicable into your everyday life with your kids. Not to mention all of the support and the opportunities to really be seen and known by a community of people who just get it instantly. And truly, that's invaluable. 
If you head over to robingobel.com slash the club, you'll be able to add yourself to the waiting list and be the first to know when we open up. One of the best things about hosting this podcast is having an excuse to connect with some of the most talented professionals in our field and then sharing their brilliance with you. I know parenting a kid with a history of trauma feels lonely and isolating, and you might feel overlooked and like nobody gets it or can help you. I hope that these guest interviews, including today with my friend, Michael Remily, reminds you that there are a lot of amazing professionals out in the world working so hard to change mental health treatment for you and your family. Let's hear what Michael has to say about equine assisted therapy as a way to help strengthen the foundation of the brain. Michael, thanks for joining me here today, taking time out of your day, um, letting me share you and your brilliance with my audience. I'm so grateful. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to, to join you this morning. We're going to have fun. Yes. Sure of it. Yes. Well, tell everybody like who you are, what you do. Okay. Uh, Michael Rimley. I'm from Central Illinois, and I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor, and um, my uh, clinical road has led me to combine my passion for helping people and horses. So we provide trauma-focused equine-assisted psychotherapy. So essentially horses helping humans heal. Yes. Um, and so our, um, I grew up showing horses and had a passion for, um, for that, wanted to be a horse trainer. Uh-huh. And so I learned a lot about the horse brain and how the brain operated and how do we navigate the survival responses of a horse and then as I got my master's and realized there is a lot of similarities here in how a horse brain operates mm-hmm. and how the traumatized brain operates, that's just where it just, I feel like things just took off from there. So I've been doing this work um, for, I've been working with kids and families for about 20 years now, which is kind of crazy to say. <laughs> I know there's some part of me that's like, how did we ever get to a stage in our lives where we could say 20 years about anything? Right. <laughs> how did this happen? Yes. I know a tiny bit about equine therapy. I'm actually really allergic to horses, so I don't do a lot of horse riding. But I do know just a little bit about equine therapy, and I have a really dear friend who is an excellent equine therapist. And then, but also your connection to the neurosequential model and Dr. Perry's work, which is so focused on helping to just organize this really strong foundation of the brain. So tell us about how those two pieces go together. Like how does Dr. Perry's work overlap with working with horses and equine therapy? Yeah. So I found Dr. Perry's work actually through, um, I was working at the Buckeye Ranch and then found natural lifemanship, which is um, the, the model of therapy we utilize, which is very heavily based in how the brain operates and the role of relationships. And so both human and horses, our brain structure is very similar. And at the bottom, um, we've got brainstem for survival, diencephalon, where am I at in space and how is space impacting me? And then um, a limbic system, our relational part of our brain and the thinking part. And so for us, in order to help a horse navigate the parts of the brain, we have to help them engage the part of their brain that's online, just like we do a human. So knowing what we know about neuroscience, that if we're operating from bottom up, what speaks to the brainstem is rhythmic pattern, repetitive sensory input. So for us that, and that works for human and horse. Mm -hmm. So if that's, I'm swinging a rope for the horse, if that is I'm tapping my legs or if I'm moving, you know, there's a lot of different things that just overlap there. So um, as we're, then moving up into the brain, we're going to do different things for horse and human that slightly different, but there's a lot of parallels. Um, So I'm trying to think to kind of give your viewers a little bit more understanding. So when somebody's in, when a horse is in survival, um, they're not able to access the thinking part of their brain. And it's, it's very difficult. And so we have to get them provide that, that's felt sense of safety Uh, for them so that they can access that. And that comes from us being predictable and providing that rhythmic input. Kind of a cool side note is horses can sense our heartbeat because they are a prey animal. Um, Even a simple thing of if my heartbeat is sporadic and out of control, they're going to sense that and that's going to be dysregulating for them. 
So part of the power of this work in working with horses is if I'm going to try and engage and regulate that brainstem, I've got to work on myself and regulate myself. So that's where this, the beauty of this work comes. The other part of this, if you looked in heart math is that our hearts are going to kind of go in in sync with the horses. So we're doing this co-regulation thing, which is such a beautiful piece. So um, we're trying to engage the horse's brainstem and um, then limbic system, or sorry, the diencephalon, where they're at in space, how's their body moving is, um, you know, we're going to get a lot of signs and signals of, is this horse online? Are they running circles around me or are they walking? Are their ears back? Are they trying to bite me? You know, those are the signs that are saying, hey, we've got some dysregulation here. But then horses want to be in connection with other horses or with us. So we're able to provide that safety and that sense of connection for the horse um, to where we can do attachment, where we're working on relationships close to each other and detachment, where we work on relationships with distance. Um, And so that is um, part of the work because who likes to work on a long distance relationships? You know, nobody says, you know what I love? Let's, let's separate and you go over there. We're going to date for six months far apart. That doesn't work. Um, but detachment is really important. You think about your kid going off to school. They've got to yes. have that felt sense of, of connection to you that, that even though we're not sharing the same space, we're still connected. So yes. it takes a lot of work on the human to provide that regulated state during detachment as well as the horse. Cause they're like, Whoa, I don't like to be by myself. I'm a herd animal. So we can help them build that sense of, con- you know, being connected even when we're detached. And then the thinking part that, you know, we're able to access that. And so can my horse navigate the things that we want to do? And we're talking about the horse here, but as you can yes. tell, so much of what has to happen for the human in order for the horse to be able to do those things and vice versa. Yeah. So, yeah. What- so, okay. Yeah. So here's what I'm hearing. Tell me if I'm hearing this correctly. Because I really, I know just a teeny tiny bit about horses. So I'm hearing you say that even if we're not talking about therapy, but just being with horses yes. as a, as a horse trainer, or just even a recreational being with horses for fun, mm-hmm. that there's this extremely important piece of the human having tons of self-awareness and knowing like kind of what's happening in their bodies as they're approaching the horse. And it sounds like some responsibility to have ownership over that, right? Like before I, because this is an enormous animal who could have hurt me before I get too close to them or have too many expectations for them. The first thing I have to do is kind of pause and like check in with myself. And then there's this other component I'm hearing you say, which is that that same human's responsibility after having so much attunement to themselves is now I have to get really clear about all these horses' nonverbal cues and get really honest about what do they mean. Hmm. Yes. Well, and, that does sound very familiar. <laughs> right, right. And the part that's so interesting with the horses and where a lot of really powerful work comes into play is being able to start to do that internal work, um, you know, what am I sensing, feeling, what's going on internally for me versus what I'm showing on the outside? Because the moment that those things don't align for me, the horse assumes that I'm a predator now. You know, you think about a mountain lion sneaking up on a horse to eat it. They're not going to be, you know, inside they're going to be like, ooh, this is a good meal. But outside they're just like, yep, I'm nice and calm. And so that the horse's survival sense kicks into play and says something's off you are not trustworthy. You are a predator. And so for us as humans, when internal doesn't match external, right? they're like, whoa, mountain lion here. And um, so then that's where we get to do a lot of the really powerful work. Horses don't mind it when you say, hey, I'm scared of you right now because I'm being congruent. It's when I'm terrified and going, oh, I got this. Give me the rope. I'm good. You know. So that's where we can do a lot of really cool work. Um, okay. Okay. Let's pause again, because you sort of just kind of blown my mind. Cause I talk a ton about the insides and the outsides matching. Mm -hmm. Um, there's some, I think probably because of maybe my own history, there's something about that. That's always felt really obvious. Like when the insides and the outsides don't match, that is like a danger, danger cue 
to the person that you're with. And then I learned more about like neuroception and polyvagal and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, I get, now I understand the science behind why even the idea of like fake it till you make it, you know, like sometimes I'll hear that advice given to parents, like just pretend you're calm, even if you're not calm. Um, And so I started, okay, I'm like, okay, I understand the science, the congruence, which felt instinctual to me. Now I get it. It makes more sense. But I've never heard it explained the way you just did, where this idea of the incongruence sends, not only is it like danger, danger signal, it's a, you're a predator signal, which makes, like, it's like, well, that makes perfect sense. But it also just clicked that in, in a way that, it hasn't before. I'm going to teach that from now on too. Well, and when you think about with kids and a parent is going to confront them about something and they really are fired up internally and yet they're trying to act like everything's, you know, they're, they're dysregulated, but they're, I'm fine. Everything's okay. They're going to pick up on that and they're going to sense that incongruency. And so then their reaction is going to be different because they're operating from a place of you are a threat to me right now. And I don't know how much I can trust you because there's two different things that I'm, I'm feeling you one thing from you and I'm seeing a different thing. And so that makes, makes a world of difference of how we're going to interact with our kids. Right. Well, it also, um, shakes up the predictability piece, right. That I know Perry talks, Dr. Perry talks about so much is like, if you're, if your insights and your outsides don't match, I really have no idea what's about to happen next. It could kind of go either way. Yeah. And the part that, you know, with that, we're sensing what's going on for the other person. So that's brain set, that's survival stuff. So I'm not cognitively aware of like, Oh, this person feels off, you know, like, and so I'm going to respond from that, the, the cues that are coming in are saying danger, danger, danger. So when that's happening, I'm not listening to you. I'm not right. hearing you. Or if I am hearing you, I'm not accurately interpreting it because I'm from, I'm operating in a place of survival. Um, and so I think that is really important for us. And that's when we have parents come out and do parenting sessions, you know, with our horses, we see a lot of this come out where it's like, you're, you shouldn't be calm. This is a 1200 pound horse. You should be a little bit bothered by this, but when you're saying you're calm and this horse is calling you out on your stuff, you know, and we then are able to do some of that really powerful work of how would you then handle this with your child? How do you handle this with your coworkers or your spouse, you know? And so it's, it's really cool to see that because we don't have, most of us don't have pathways about relationships with horses. Okay. So the horse giving that feedback to me, I'm able to receive it a little bit better because there's no, you know, I don't have any associations there versus yes. if you told me that you gave me that feedback of like, something seems off here. Oh, Robin just doesn't like me. That's yes, why yes. me that. So that's why this work I think is so powerful in that we're able to operate really from a, um, we don't have a lot of pathways built around those connections. And so I'm able to receive it. And then I can alter and change my behaviors and begin to really develop healthy pathways about this relationship that then, as we say, transfer to other arenas of my life and, and help me out there. And so that's why I love this work. It's so cool. Yes. So when I've, um, I've often had kids going to equine therapy, I jumped leave because it's been so clear, like what a brilliant, powerful intervention it is. And one of the things I've always thought too, is that there's something about, and you kind of just explained why the relationship with the horse that doesn't lost to our ego, right? Our quote, I'm going to say quote unquote ego, like from psychological terms, ego, right? Like I'm just not triggered as often. Like I'm not taking personally how the horse is responding. Um, it's just, it just is what it is. It's what's happening. It's like this clean catch of information. And since my ego is not involved, you know, and I'm not feeling triggered and I don't mean that so often we say ego and it's, it's used in this pejorative way. I don't mean it that way at all. It's just, it's just a thing, right? That when that's not happening, that part's not activated then, and we're just like kind of cleanly working with the data of what's happening here between the two of us, things work so much better. So much better. Because I'm in a place to receive that. Yes. 
differently and I don't put my own twist on it, you know, uh, based off of previous experiences. And so that is like, like you said, cleanly interpreted and it's, it's like installed. It's fantastic. Yeah. I had never thought about it in that way that you just said it's like, like, especially someone like me, like I have very, very little experience with horses. So you're right. The lack of previous experiences means that it's, it's brand new. I don't have all these pre-existing beliefs about this horse or horses in general or what's going to happen next. Yeah. Yeah. And then the cool part is, is when we, you know, we, we have the relationship stuff that we do on the ground, but you and I both know sometimes there are individuals who need so much more bottom up regulation that brainstem diencephalon areas really disorganized that accessing the limbic system is really difficult. Um, because they go offline so quickly that we're able to provide that passive rhythm of the horse. You know, we're riding and think about bilateral movement. We're moving back and forth and we're able to regulate the brainstem and um, providing that passive rhythm. And then diencephalon, where am I at in space and how is space impacting me? I've got this massive 1200 pound animal that's moving my body and that we're working together. And that then now I'm in this place of, we're connected to each other physically. So now we can start to work on the emotional connection. And so we're working through the, you know, bottom up regulation and we get to that limbic system and you've worked with those kids that override their limbic system and they go to the neocortex. Mm -hmm. We keep those kiddos there and keep them from going up to, you know, the high level thinking and let them feel what is this connection like with this horse? And that's where um, there's a lot of really good work. And so then we'll let them tap into the neocortex through a simple thing of spelling the horse's name or, you know, something simple like that. And then we come back down. And so we're able to then build those pathways that say, Hey, we can engage all parts of our brain and, and build a connection and relationship to where this is safe and healthy. And it just, it's incredible to watch. Um, yeah, it'd be fun if people could see you right now because you are like just so lit up about this. Like just <laughs> genuinely like, this is so cool. Even if we get a kid that calls in a crisis and I will rock with them on the phone yes. going back and forth because I know I'm regulating my body and it seems a little silly, but we we know the power of regulation and rhythm and predictability. And so that job, that's part of my job here is to provide that. And so I might be out in public and have to step away from a crisis call. And, you know, my friends are like, why are you swaying back and forth? Because I needed to help regulate myself. Right. And I'm working on my breathing because even through that crisis call, that kiddo or that parent can hear me and I can provide that rhythm that way. So, um, and in session, we do the same thing because the beauty of this horses don't know who the client is. So then as a therapist, I have to do my own work. I got to come into that session very well prepared um, and doing my own stuff and being able to say, Hey, right now I'm frustrated kiddo. Can you help me with this today? Um, And so then there's some really cool co-regulation pieces that take place there. Um, I had a kid, I got a rough email. He's Seven, seven years old, got a rough email right before session and I was trying to shake it and I just couldn't. And so I said to him, bud, I want you to know I'm just, I'm struggling. And he put his hands up because he does this. <sighs> and just as a way to help me, you tell me when I'm frustrated, this is what you do. He did it for me. And I just thought it was so, so cool. So. I think what I found so inspiring and, and maybe even just fascinating is like, There's just no way around the fact that the horse is enormous. And if we don't do these things that we need to do to stay regulated, to stay mindful, to work on congruence, there's actual danger, right? Like there's this level of motivation to um, even just practice exactly what you just said, this authenticity of... I'm feeling what, you know, and I, it's bringing me back to sessions. I've had not even just authenticity in, in the session because of what's unfolding in the session, but, but maybe something that happened right before. Yeah. And, you know, knowing how important it is, like when I first come into contact with somebody who, for whatever reason, but thinking, especially about the therapy room, when we first are meeting each other, like our energies are first meeting or we're sitting down together. I'm 
authentic about like, I want you to know that the, I'm, I'm okay. And I'm, I'm so happy to be with you today, but the hour I had right before you like caused some intense dysregulation, or I just got off the phone with something that was extremely dysregulating and you're probably going to feel it in my body. And I want you to know, it's not about you because that's what we do. Right. We right. interpret like danger, danger. This is about me. Yeah. yeah. So I do also want to pause. I'm remembering that um, I did a podcast interview back in May. I have no idea what number it was because I don't really keep track like that. But with Lisa Dion. And so people who are listening and want to hear more about like what we're talking about with this, like authenticity, insights and outsides matching um, from a parenting perspective, head back and find that episode, y'all. Lisa Dion, it was called something about how regulation doesn't equal calm or regulated doesn't mean calm or or something like that. It was back in May, y'all. I have no idea what number it was, but you can find it. And we talked exactly about like Michael and I are talking about now, which I think is just this crucial element of relationship. And it's hard. It is hard to show up that authentically in relationship unless you're facing a 1,200 pound animal who could step on you and hurt you. And then you have to practice it. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order. And I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. Right. And, and the beauty of it is with the horses, when we do get it right, they provide really quick feedback for us because uh, they're like, Oh, uh, okay. You're not a, you know, you're not a threat. You're not the, the predator like I thought. And so we need that quick feedback. Whereas you might, you might provide that to me. Um, or, you know, like I'm regulated and, and you've given me that feedback, but it takes me a little longer just to, to connect it. Yes. Whereas the horse, it's pretty fast. Um, or it's, or, you know, very obvious that it's not working. Yeah. And so that's the part too, that we get to, to see and receive that feedback much faster than we would with a human being. So, yes, this is so, um, just fantastic for me to personally even be connecting these dots so much more, you know, like in Dr. Porges's work in the polyvagal theory, his foundation of that is therapists can, well, his foundation of how this applies clinically is the very first step in the process is always therapist attunement to self. Like we're not capable of attuning to anyone else before we're attuned to self. And the same is true, of course, in the parenting or any relational experience for me to attune to you, I have to first attune to myself and it's easy to try to skip over that part. Yes. <laughs> Meh, never mind that whole too much of self thing. I'm just going to focus on you. Yeah. But man, in the situations you're describing too, with, with equine and being with a horse, it's like, well, sorry, you don't get to skip that part. <laughs> exactly. Well, we've had some, some professionals that have come to work for us that have talked about how difficult it's been because they realized they had still had more work to do, yes. you know? So, yeah. And, and I think the, the other part that I love about this work is the principles of pressure of making a request with the horse. We want to start with the least amount of pressure and work our way up, you know, as needed. If the horse ignores us or resists us or cooperates, it's going to change how we use that pressure. And I think for parenting, it just, it applies and, and relationships in general, it applies so much. And um, thinking, I didn't realize how my energy and my intensity can transfer to other people. You know, um, you come into a session and you're like, boom, 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 got to keep, you know, we got to go. They're feeling that, that energy and that pressure. And like you said, we assume it's about us might've been about somebody else. So 
we have to do that work of regulating and then starting with the least amount of pressure and gradually working our way up. Um, we talk about how a horse can ignore us. And if they ignore us, we want to gradually increase that pressure. Think about your 15 year old son and you asked him to do the dishes. You don't go do the dishes and then yelling and screaming, do the dishes. Although sometimes we feel like we should do that, right? <laughs> it's you're going to gradually increase the pressure. And when he does the dishes, you release that pressure. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And a, a thing that we always encourage parents, the moment that they cooperate with us after they've ignored us and we've, you know, been working or, or even resisted us, the temptation that we have to fight is to say, now, wouldn't this have been easier to do earlier? <laughs> of course. <laughs> because, yeah. and, and that's what's going through our mind, but we have to bite yeah, our yeah. tongue because yes. when we think about stress and I'm, I'm applying that pressure for you to do the dishes uh-huh. and I release it, I get that, that feel good dopamine. Ah, this is right. Yeah. But the moment you say, wouldn't that have been easier to do 10 minutes ago? Yeah. Boom, cortisol, stress chemicals. Right. And now right. it doesn't feel good. Right. Same thing's happening with the horse. When I ask the horse, so I got, I'm breaking a horse out to ride for the first time. And I put something on them and it takes them a while to relax with it. Yes. And then I, I get real ing- aggressive about it again, real fast. And don't give them that chance to feel good. Then the, it takes them longer to recognize and to regulate. This isn't a bad thing. And so I think that's what happens a lot for parents with responding to ignoring or resisting. We have to keep that under control and not say, wouldn't this have been easier? Right. <laughs> so, um, and with resistance, the other part of this work, because horses like to resist us. And what we say with resistance is that they're thinking for a way to get this pressure to go away. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as they're going through that, um, we keep the pressure the same. So I'm asking to put this saddle pad on you and you're going to walk away from me, but I can tell you, you're still looking at me. I'm going to keep that pressure and I'm going to follow you with it. Okay. So, um, if your kiddo is not doing the dishes and he's wanting to throw a fit and lay on the floor and thrash around, okay, when you're done with that, the dishes are still there kind of, you know, but you hold that space and have to, that's where it comes back to that internal work of ourselves Yes. of being regulated and being almost that, that, uh, that, um, I'm drawing a blank, the metronome yes. that steady beat for them so that they can then get back in alignment with you and be like, okay, we can do this. And then it's, we release the pressure once they go to do the dishes and, uh, you know, and that's the really critical work that we see here with kids and with families of how do we then utilize our pressure appropriately? Because we often misuse, we use too much pressure or we use none at all. And we let other people run all over us. Yes. So that's um, the other part of this, um, this work that is so fascinating to me. Yeah, that was a neat example because um, absolutely that sometimes when our kids are, have expressed distress and however they way they do it, however big or small they do it, there is almost a sense where we feel like, our choices are to like just relinquish and be like, never mind, you don't have to do it. Or like you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to, instead of finding this sort of space in between, which is like, I could be with you in your protest and be to- regulated with you and allow you to have your protest because you get to protest. Like your feelings are valid and your feelings of precious are valid. I'll totally be with you in that. And you still have to do it. <laughs> like, Now, there are some, of course, nuances that sometimes we do as parents, and I guess I would assume the same is true when you're working with a horse. Sometimes there is a moment to have some self-reflection and be like, oh, I made a request that wasn't reasonable, given the stage of our relationship, given this child's capacity. And I would assume that's true in a horse, too. Sometimes we do have to be like, oh, okay, so I am actually going to relinquish the whole dishes request because... I thought it was a result we requested. Now I'm seeing it, it actually wasn't. Right. And the, the part that we have to think about too is breaking out a horse. If today you um, didn't want me to put the saddle on you, you know, tomorrow I'm, I might take a break for the day because you, this is causing more stress for both of us and we can't yes. we're able to co-regulate. So to yes. me, putting that aside and saying, let's just find a place to reg, you know, of calm to regulate. And we'll revisit this tomorrow. 
And that pressure, that request still is there. I would like for you to have this saddle on that, you know, but sometimes we have to look at the timeline. Is this my timeline? Is this my agenda? And what is fair and reasonable for the horse that also transfers to our kids and our, you know, significant other, any relationship is this fair right now? Yeah. So oh, we've done a beautiful job. You've done a beautiful job translating like the relational pieces from like the horse to real, to the real world, because there's no horses in the kitchen when we're doing the dishes. Let's also talk about translating the implicit like rhythm that's happening on the horse that is providing this like immediate experience of regulation. But again, no horses in the kitchen. So when we think about that that piece specifically, the rhythmic, repetitive experience of being on the horse, how can parents take those sorts of ideas and translate that to real life? Yeah, the first thing I would say is we think about the heartbeat of the horse because Uh even as we approach, that heartbeat is helping our body regulate. And yes. their heartbeat is much slower than us. So we don't ever want to match it, but yes. um, it's going to bring our heartbeat down to a steadier beat. And um, for us as parents, that is the thing that I would say, first off, your heartbeat and how do we control our heartbeat is through our, our breathing. So by yes. regulating our breath and taking care of that, that is where we're able to start to provide that very basic passive rhythm. Yes. Um, and when I think of that, think of passive rhythm, I think of it's when those moments when sometimes I can get a kid to say, hey, let's go for a walk. They're able to provide that active bilateral stimulation and rhythm. Sometimes right. they're in a place where they they refuse to do that. And parents say, well, what do I do? This is where it's really critical for you to do that work with your body to regulate so that you can be that that heartbeat and that rhythm for the individual because their body is feeling that. The other thing that um, swaying back and forth can be a a simple thing. Um, The uh, tapping your legs, you know, like thinking about walking back and forth. And I, I said on the crisis calls, I've done this where you're, you're just thinking about that rhythm. Also, do you hear my, the rhythm of my voice is is becoming very rhythmic and predictable. Um, Those are simple things that are engaging the brainstem to help regulate it and also help regulate me. Um, Sometimes it's not about the kiddo. It's, it's, I'm just trying to get my body in, in check because I can't, I can't regulate you if I'm out of sorts and dysregulated. So that is the, the part. So we, we talk about um, the heartbeat, the breathing. Um, we also talk about movement, um, like creating a space away from the kiddo to where I can step away and, and do my own work. So sometimes the parents need that. I'm going to go walk down to the mailbox and I'm going to come back and we're going to revisit this <laughs> because they need, they are so dysregulated. There's nothing positive that's going to come out of that situation. So taking that minute to walk, um, Rocking chairs, if a kiddo is willing, if this is when we're going to move into those interventions and those suggestions where a kiddo is willing to cooperate and is able, rocking chairs are great. Um, And um, even just going for a walk. Um, We also talk about um, sitting on an exercise ball because you can, you can, you can create that back and forth, um, that movement that's similar to the horse. Yep. Um, And then we've had some people that have used, and this is for our our itty bitty kiddos that had one of those, um, the horses on the springs. Oh, sure. And um, they've done that as well. Yeah. Um, So, and a a glider, Um, I would say a glider is actually probably, I would suggest with families to do that before a rocking chair, because a glider is a whole lot more challenging to dysregulate. Uh (laughs) It, it, It keeps that rhythm, but if you can get a rocking chair really going, so a glider for a kiddo, it's a lot harder. And oftentimes because it keeps you in rhythm, they'll regulate a little faster. That's why, that that's sense. why a lot of, um, infant, you know, in a nursery, they have gliders now versus rocking chairs because it just, it helps, um, provide that rhythm. You just get it started and it will keep it, it going will, for you. That makes sense. I had never thought about gliders versus rocking chairs exactly in the way before, but that kind of 
um, built-in mechanism, like almost yeah. like a safety mechanism that prevents yeah. like going over the edge. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Cause, and you can get a rocking chair. I mean, rocking chairs can work, but for a kiddo that really likes to, you know, they, adults even can really get a right. rocking chair going and then right. it's providing the regulated rhythm right. that it needs. Right. So that's uh, why we lean towards that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I like that. I love how you really distinguish between um, passive and active because I do think I teach them um, when, when I teach therapists and parents about um, rhythmic and repetitive and being intentional about these rhythmic repetitive experiences, I, my, I, I, my go-to is like movement-based kind of stuff and gross motor-based kind of stuff because that's my love. That's my passion. And, and probably it's because that's what regulates me. I mean, when it really all the way comes down to it. Right. And that, that there's something that feels really helpful about having such an active idea or an active thing to do. Let's toss this ball back and forth. Right. And, and that's, that's all well and good. And just like you said, sometimes kids are not uh, willing participants. Let's say that cooperative, willing participants, and that there is still so much that can be done when we remember how powerful our role is and how our energy is in this passive regulation and this passive getting, coming into contact with our own rhythm, Right. And our own breathing. And like you said, like the way that we start swaying back and forth. And in my office, I sit actually in my therapy office, I sit in the chair that I'm in right now. It came to me, came with me to this office from my therapy office. And it's very deliberately chosen because I, you know, I can go rock back and forth. Like I am right now. I can rock backwards and forwards. Like Like there's these ways of just like you said, like, first of all, it's for me because sometimes being a therapist is stressful. Right. And I've got this way, like this instant built-in regulation that's totally socially appropriate. Doesn't send off these big red flags of like, what's that lady doing? Like, oh no, I'm just like rocking back and forth in my chair and I could get it going with my foot on the ground. So first it's for me, but then it's also communicating like in the energy field between us. And so often then that client's catching that, beginning to catch some of that rhythm. And, and I think it normalizes the need to engage our body in our rhythm, yes. in our regulation, because we think of, I got to regulate, you know, in school, oftentimes they got to sit still. Yes. And so they don't, you know, they don't quite yes. know so to model for them. I'm just taking care of me right now. You know, yeah. it's just, it's just me. And I think kids feel like, oh, because one of the, the big pushbacks that I hear from kids is you just told me to do weird things. Yes. You know? And I'm like, well, maybe, but these are weird things that I do too, because it helps my body regulate. And so I think normalizing that even as a grown adult, I need these things and it helps me. And then they start to say, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try that. Yeah. Um, And I'm always asking, I'm sure you are too. I'm always asking parents to reflect on the things that they do that are regulating. And like, even when you said, take a, you know, like walks to the mailbox, it's like the walks to the mailbox has become like the highlight of my day in COVID. Like we have kind of a long driveway. It forces me to get outside. Our driveway is gorgeous. And especially this summer, you know, when it's not winter and like, that's this part of my day that is, you know, maybe I didn't say like, Ooh, a regulation break for me is to walk to the mailbox. But implicitly, I've added into my day this rhythmic, you know, experience of going all the way down and all the way back. And we all have, I have so many of those, right, that are just baked into my day. And for adults to normalize that, like, we're not asking you to do anything weird or unusual or like coddle our kids. We all do these things. Let's help our kids find what they need so that they can get right. through the day the same way that we try to. <laughs> exactly. When I in thinking about the walk to the driveway, you know, mm-hmm. with, um, we often forget about the fact that, um, good can dysregulate us as well. 
And yes. so kid comes home from a very exciting visit or, you know, we work with a lot of kids in uh, foster care. And so they yeah. just came from a visit and they're all up and we think, well, they should be really great. Why did they just have this major meltdown? Good. It can be dysregulating too. Yes. And so implementing those things. And then with COVID, you know, with, with a lot of us having to be at home at different times, getting those things where work shuts down and we yep. go into family modes. Those are small little interventions that you can do of like, I'm, I turn my computer off. I walk to the mailbox, work is done. And now I'm coming home. Like I would have, if I had that 10, you know, 15, yes, 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Drive. Those are small little things, but I also think the intentionality behind us of thinking about when I come home from work that I'm, I'm bringing in stuff if I don't take care of it. Yes. And so then the, our kids are, are picking up on that and feeding off of that. And so how do I regulate myself so that I come home and I'm ready to be me in a regulated state? Because what I'm giving off is going to set the tone for the kiddo because they're going to think automatically it's them. And yes. I might be really stuck on an email that I didn't get addressed at the office. So those are pieces. And that's where we also talk about this with the horses coming back to them. Yeah. When you go out to the barn and you go, I'm going to ride and I'm very you know, my brain is still in that work mode of that email, that horse is going to go back to the fact that you're a predator. Yes. And so our kiddos, when you come home from work and you're still at work, their bodies are sending signals to us. You're a predator right now. And so I'm not super excited to cooperate with a predator. <laughs> right. You know? And so we wonder why we have a lot of resistance we're met with a lot of resistance. So that's a huge part of that, of that work um, where we say, find those regulation pieces so that you can be present and attuned and ready so that your kid doesn't think that you're a predator. Yeah. I mean, there's something about that statement that has, it's like, it's so provocative, but also, I, I don't know, I have to deconstruct why later, but that it's just hitting me in like such a perfect way where I can, I can really imagine using this in my real life, like in my personal life, like I don't want my spouse, I don't want my son to experience me as a predator. And there's something about that. That's like almost so absurd yet not that it's, it's resonating for me really in this moment. So like, okay, if I don't want to come off the cross as a predator, I think there's a party that's like picturing like a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something. Maybe that's why it feels so absurd. I'm like, well, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be a predator. So Let's, that doesn't mean I have to be perfect. That doesn't mean I have to even be like calm or happy. It means I have to be congruent. So exactly. again, y'all go back to and check the, the podcast interview I did with Lisa Deanna. She talked so much more about, uh, so much about being congruent. And I also want to say, and then, and then we'll, we'll wrap up and we'll find another time to talk, Michael, because I know people are like more Michael, more Michael, but, um, I have a blog post about why good times suddenly go bad. And you just kind of spoke on that, like how good, how good things can get dysregulating. So I'll bet there was a couple of people listening who were like, Oh my gosh, say more about that. And we don't have time to say more about that right now, <laughs> but y'all, I will put in the show notes, like a link to that blog article. If that caught your attention, you want to go read a little bit more about that. Well, this was so fun. Everything was fun. The talking we did beforehand, um, and it was fun to watch you because I've known you in a different way than equine therapist, Michael, I've known you as conference director, Michael, right. and that's been a fun way to get to know you. I've really enjoyed that, but to watch you shift into the, I love my work and I love these kids and I love these horses Wait, like to watch your eyes light up and like, you just shift into like a little bit different person as you talked about your work has been just really fun for me to see. So thank you for bringing that part of yourself here with me now. And also to everybody who gets to listen. Thank you so much. It's, it is a joy to share this and I, we could talk for hours. I appreciate I all the work and I love learning from you. Um, and so it's been a joy to get to, to, to just chat and to, yeah. to share life together. So thank you. It has been till next time. Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much. Michael's pretty cool, right? I'm pretty sure he's hinted at the fact that I have an open invitation at his ranch and my family and I totally plan to take him up on that soon. Head over to Gateway Family Services website to see if your family can benefit from their services and then definitely sign up to get notifications about the next Rising Tide conference. The conference was seriously, truly the highlight of my summer. 
Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. I'm really grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your commitment to kids and families and to making the world a better place by embodying the science of relationships. I'll see you next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.